and I apologize for being out last Sunday. Uh, I told DW I thought I had a couple of sick days left. I wanted to be sure and get all those in. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, uh, uh, I did, uh, was a good bit under the weather. Well, I'm not going to preach a long sermon this morning, but really uh, the next five Sundays, uh, there is a passage that Paul was very fond of using uh, in the New Testament, especially as he would near the end of a letter, and he would often say, finally, my brethren. And so the, last, the next four to five Sundays, uh, as I close out my time here as your pastor, that's the series of messages I'm going to title these series of messages, finally, my brethren, and sistren too, by the way, uh, not, to, not to eliminate the ladies, but finally, brethren, just to give you some thoughts and some ideas to encourage you uh, as you move forward, as the youth and the youth leaders shared, uh, I do believe God has a special purpose and a special plan uh, for Satilla. I have shared this story before, I'm sure, but uh, that's the prerogative. As you preach longer, you get, to, like old folks, they tell the same stories over and over again. And if you're a good congregation, you act like you've never heard them and laugh really loud, like that's the funniest thing you've ever heard. But I can uh, heard a story many years ago, and I've, I've always liked it, of a preacher who announced that he was resigning. And, uh, of course, as he stood at the back, you know, people would come by and, and tell him, you know, they loved him and appreciated him. And uh, one lady especially was very distraught. She was very crying, very profusely. And, and uh, he thought, you know, I need to try to say something additional to encourage this lady. And he says, sister, he said, don't worry. He said, I'm sure the Lord will send somebody even better than me who will come after I'm gone. And when he said that, she really went to crying just, oh, just bawling. Uh, more and, and than she had before. And he said, ma'am, I'm sorry, did I say something wrong? And she said, no, preacher. She said, it's not. She said, that's what the last three preachers have said, and it's just got worse every time. <laughs> so the Bible says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And any preacher that thinks he is not replaceable has much too high of opinion of himself. And I would also say that any congregation that thinks a preacher is not replaceable has too low of opinion of God. So I don't need to have too high of an opinion of myself, and you certainly as a congregation don't need to have too low an opinion of God. God uh, is not limited by man. He is not limited by who stands behind the pulpit. He is not even limited by who sits in the congregation. God has a desire to use you as individuals. As Tammy said, God is never through with us until we take our last breath. So God has a desire to use this congregation and this place of worship and no doubt wants to use you as well. Well, I wanted to share this morning, not from any particular uh, passage of Scripture, but one of the things that... Uh, has been a somewhat of a running joke since I've been here is when I make the comment, one of my favorite songs or my favorite hymn because I love uh, wonderful songs. And if you think about the history of mankind, even Jesus and certainly the Scripture, uh, one of the ways that people have tried to communicate truth and communicate something to others so that they would remember it is really two primary ways. Number one is to tell a story. Jesus was a great storyteller. He told stories in the New Testament. We call them parables. And he had a message. 
that He wanted to get across. And we may not remember that message, but we remember the story. And when we think about the story, then we remember the message. So stories are one way that we communicate truth, but another way is through song. We take a truth or we take a message and we put it to music and we remember that truth or that story, if you will, whatever it is we want to remember, remember it, remember it through song. And so I thought about six wonderful truths that I want to very briefly share with you this morning that actually are encapsulated in a song, one of my favorite songs that I love uh, that we've talked about here before. And it is a song that all of you know, the song Victory in Jesus. Now, some of you have heard me tell the story. I like to tell stories about songs. And uh, does anybody remember Little Jimmy Dickens? You ever watched the Grand Ole Opry? Little Jimmy Dickens. Anybody remember Little Jimmy Dickens? I wish J.C. was here. He would surely, surely remember Little Jimmy Dickens. Well, some of you might remember Little Jimmy Dickens became famous many years ago. He's passed away now. But uh, he would sing a song on the Grand Ole Opry, Take an Old Cold Tater and Wait. Anybody ever heard the song, Take an Old Cold Tater and Wait? I see some old folks. Well, sorry to call you old folks, but you are. You're old folks. I see some old folks raising their hand. Well, look it up on YouTube, you young people. Take an old cold tater and wait. I bet you'll never believe that the same man who wrote Victory in Jesus wrote the little Jimmy Dickens song, Take an Old Cold Tater and Wait. It was a man named E.M. Bartlett. E.M. Bartlett was his name and uh, born in 18... uh, Got it here somewhere. Born in 1885 in Waynesville, Missouri and... 1918, he started the Hartfield Music Company. He's very one of the early pioneers of what became known as Southern Gospel music. Uh, and he wrote uh, over 800 songs when he was in his prime. And not all of them were gospel. Like I said, one of them was taking old cold tater and wait. But in 1939, he had a stroke. And after his stroke, he was basically bedridden and was unable to do many of the things that he did before, but he would still read, uh, read his Bible, and he still liked to write as best he could. Well, while he was bedridden, after that stroke, he wrote his most famous song, which is Victory in Jesus. He died in 1941, only a year or so after he wrote the words to Victory in Jesus. And if you take that song, Victory in Jesus, I think that like any great song, it is based upon any great gospel song or gospel chorus, it is based upon Scripture. By the way, any great sermon, any great song has a basis in Scripture because Scripture is our basis for truth. And this wonderful Christian song, Victory in Jesus, is based upon Scripture. So if we take it and we take and we reverse it and we take the song and we go back to the roots of Scripture, I think that it will be a good way for me to share with you just six very beautiful truths of the Gospel that you can remember based on that song, Victory in Jesus. You know, the song starts out, I heard an old, old story. And that is the truth that we heard this morning from our young people as they shared. There is no substitute to the proclamation of the gospel. Seth was talking about wearing a shirt uh, to be a witness for the Lord. There are many ways to proclaim the gospel. 
I'm trying to remember, I think it may have been St. Augustine, or maybe not, I think perhaps it was another one of the great saints of many years ago, who said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Now, words are certainly the medium that I use as a preacher uh, to share the gospel, but it is certainly not the only way to share the gospel, and many times it is not the most effective way to share the gospel. But we are all called to proclaim and to preach the gospel. Everyone here, you are a preacher. Some of you have preached to me uh, since I've been here. Some of you are wonderful preachers. You preach with a pen and a paper. And what you do is you sit down at your desk and you write a card. And you write it in your handwriting. I'm so thankful you don't use a word processor. Some of you still use ink and paper. And you write on that card some words of encouragement and you put it in an envelope uh, and you send it to someone. Many of you have sent it to me and I know you send those cards to other people. You're proclaiming words of encouragement. And you can do that with the gospel. Whatever medium you have, everyone's different. All of us have different mediums. But what all of us are called to do, what you are called to do, is whatever medium you have, Use that medium to share the gospel. If you are a Christian, that is your mission. To share the gospel. Share that gospel with everyone you can. With anyone you can. Never let the devil... I believe this is one of the devil's great tricks. One of the devil's great tricks is he tries to convince the church that people don't really need the gospel. They don't want to hear that gospel. They don't want to hear that message. Look how rude they are to you. Look how they ignore you. They don't want to hear that message. They don't need that message. It's not working for you anyway. You're struggling. You're having a hard time. Why are you going to share that with them? But my friend, that is, the, that is a lie from Satan. The gospel is the hope of this world. And we as the church must never be silenced. We must always share the gospel. That writer of that old hymn, he began it with, I heard an old, old story. Everything else that comes after in that wonderful hymn starts with this truth. I heard an old, old story. Someone shared this story with me. Someone told me this story. What is the story that was shared with the author of this hymn? He says... The very next passage, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. The first part of the gospel, if we want to use a theological term, is simply incarnation. The message of the gospel, we just celebrated it this Christmas season, is that God clothed Himself with flesh and He came and He made Himself a servant. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, both under the earth and those on the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In John chapter 1, I think Tammy read partly of that or just a few moments ago, but in John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible says, "...the Word became flesh." and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
The first part of the gospel message is that for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. One of the great, one of the great um, criticisms of the world is, God, why don't you prove yourself? Why don't you show yourself? And the gospel has an answer. God has. God came down from heaven and He came down to, through a virgin's womb, born into a manger, and He lived a sinless life. And that man is Jesus. Jesus is God made flesh. Jesus is the icon, the image of the invisible God, the Bible calls Him, the incarnation that God came down. And then the song goes on, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning of His precious blood's atoning. The first part of the Gospel is that God became a man. The incarnation. The second part of the Gospel is what we call the atonement. That that first verse of victory in Jesus shares about, and that is the death of Jesus on the cross. That is a wonderful, wonderful message to anybody who is burdened with guilt. One of the reasons, my dear friend, and I know uh, there are those here today whose names I won't call since I'm recording this, but there are those here today who could share with us one of the reasons that the Muslim world uh, is open to the gospel in many ways, although it is a very difficult place to break into, is because of the guilt. The guilt that that part of the world and, and that very religious structure that burdens people down with burdens and, and laws and regulations and there's no assurance of salvation and the gospel brings the message of atonement. That you can have your sins forgiven. You don't have to tote that guilt. You don't have to wonder if you'll ever do enough to make it into heaven. That is the message of the cross. That is why so many hymn writers throughout the centuries have written love ballads to the cross. That's why every true Christian should love the cross. Because the cross is the most wonderful message in all the world. That all of your shortcomings are paid for. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. <coughs> Excuse me. And for my sin upon the cross. <clears throat> Almost well. Not quite. Almost. But the atonement. Isaiah 53 tells us about it. And there's so many other passages I could read. But time would escape us. But if we move on. And there's a, a third wonderful truth that this wonderful old hymn talk tells us about. Not only the importance, the importance of the proclamation of the gospel. I heard an old, old story. And the incarnation, how a Savior came from glory. And then the atonement, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And then there is a key. There's a part that you must do and I must do. Salvation is free. And God has completed salvation. But there is something for us to do. And the Bible tells us what that is. And this song tells us what it is. Old E.M. Bartlett, the author of Take an Old Cold Tater and Wait, but also the author of this wonderful old hymn, he put in his song after he heard that gospel message. He heard about Jesus coming. And he heard about Him dying on the cross. There was something that happened in his old heart. And he says, then I repented of my sin and won the victory. 
You see, there's something you have to do. There comes a time in the presentation and the proclamation of the Gospel, there comes a time when we hear about Jesus coming in the manger and living the sinless life, and we hear about Him dying on the cross and shedding His blood, then there comes a time that those 300 young people Friday night, they had to make that decision. There comes a time where perhaps you have to make that decision. Anyone who hears the Gospel, at some point a decision has to be made. Will I follow Jesus? Jesus issues the challenge. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Me. Repentance. There is no forgiveness even though Jesus has paid for it. There is no forgiveness, my dear friend, without repentance. You cannot be forgiven without repentance. What is repentance? Well, it's many things, but most importantly, it is a recognition and an acceptance that what you have done or the way you have lived is wrong. It is an agreeing with God that God is right about your sin and you are wrong. It is a ceasing of making excuses. It is stopping the excuses and stopping yes, but... You know, I've said but it's one of the most important words in the Bible. In a positive sense, that's true. But it's also very important in a negative sense. When you repent, you stop using the word but. Yes, I did that, Lord, but... No more buts. Yes, I did that, Lord. And I repent. Go to Psalm 51. Remember, I shared with you when we preached through the life of David... David was as wicked a sinner as anybody in Scripture. You could argue that he was a worse sinner than Saul. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat David's sin. Some of the most despicable things that a man or a woman could do, David did. But you know the one thing that David had going for him? The one reason that David was able to be reconciled to God was what was it you heard me say? it That David knew how to repent. And in Psalm 51, the same famous passage where David repents, if you want a beautiful picture of repentance, go to the 51st Psalm and you see where David wrote that, that Psalm of repentance. And what David is doing, he's saying, Lord, against you and against you only have I sinned. He doesn't make excuses anymore. He accepts his sin and he repents. Over and over again, I could read Acts 2.37 where Peter preached it, the very first gospel message. For those that might say, well, repentance is an Old Testament truth. No. Uh, After the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, the very first message preached as a church, Peter in Acts 2.37, he finished, he got to the end of his message, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That was the answer. They were cut to the heart, the Bible says, and Peter had an answer. He says, repent. The very first word out of Peter's mouth was not believe, it was repent. Repent and be let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, a fifth wonderful truth in that second verse of that wonderful song. The first one is the importance of the proclamation of the gospel. We must preach the gospel. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory, the incarnation. How He gave His life on Calvary, the atonement. 
And then the key that lets loose the power of the gospel in an individual's life, and that key is repentance. Or recognition and acceptance that you are a sinner and that you're you're are not living your life as you should, and you turn from your sin and you turn to God, you turn your back on the world and you turn your face to the cross. And then there's this wonderful passage, that second verse that says, I heard about his healing of his cleansing power, revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Theologians call that sanctification. Maybe we could just use the word transformation. It's when we come to Christ and we accept His forgiveness and we repent, there is an outworking of the power of the gospel. It's how people who once were bound by the things of this world, people who thought they could not live outside of a life of sin, that the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to work in them. How could that young Muslim man that you shared about um, who was a preacher and I can't remember his name. How could he have been raised in that Muslim life and yet now be a proclaimer of the gospel? That's the, the power of the transforming, transforming of the gospel. Sanctification, working out a new life. And God does that. He can do that in your life. He can do that in anyone's life who comes to Him and lets the power of the gospel work out through them the sanctifying power of the gospel. You know, one of my favorite passages, I've often shared it, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. I love this passage because it, it, it pairs a, a picture of sin. And you know, it does something that uh, preachers get in trouble about. You know, everybody's against sin until you start naming them, right? You know, that's when you start having disagreements. You know, everybody, oh, I'm opposed to sin. Well, when you start naming them, that's when people start getting aggravated. Because now you're, you're, you're meddling. You know, you're talking about something I do. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, there is a whole list of sin. And it looks like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a condemnation of activity and behavior. But in verse 11, it is a picture of the power of the gospel. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Here comes the condemnation. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, that there, that'll bless you. Just read that. You know, so you, I tell you, if you're an honest person, you ought to be convicted about right now because that should have hit everybody. All of us have been guilty of some of that in our lifetime. And it slams us in the face and it says... People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here comes the wonderful transforming part of the gospel. Verse 11, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the last one I want to share. In that very last verse of that old song. It says, I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory.
That's glorification. That's heaven. It all started with I heard an old, old story. It all started with somebody proclaiming the gospel. Somebody sharing the gospel. An old E.M. Bartlett wrote these words down, laying on a bed of affliction, having had a stroke and unable to move. He lays there in that bed and he recounts his salvation and he recounts the work that God has done in his life. And he begins with I heard an old, old story. I've shared this before, but I'm so thankful. For my mother is the first person who comes to mind who first shared with me the story of Jesus. And then I fast forward to going to what we used to call primary uh, Sunday school uh, there at Mount Zion Baptist Church in, in Axon and, and those wonderful women primarily who, who set me down in, in a desk and, and they told me about Jesus. They didn't have uh, DVDs, they had flannel boards. But that boy, that seemed mighty colorful to a small child in 1968. A flannel board was the way to go. And you know, they had those flannel boards up there and, and Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I heard that old, old story. And, and at some point, when I was about nine years of age, it began to translate from up here. It all was up here and it began to trickle down to here. And suddenly my heart was stirred and my heart was convicted. And, and you know, the outward list of sins for a nine-year-old to repent of are fairly small. But the inward sins are mighty long. Because all the avarices of life begin in the heart. Jealousy and anger and, and, and hatred and all those things start. And they had already began in my little heart. And, and I took those little things at the age of nine and I repented of my sins and I brought them to Jesus. And He transformed me and made me a new person. And because of that, I have a hope. I have a hope of glorification in heaven that one day, one day when this life is over, as it soon shall be, when this life is over, I will join my Savior in heaven. That is the hope beyond this life. It is a precious and a wonderful hope. And you know, he ends with a wonderful little chorus. Oh, victory in Jesus. Well, I think about 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My Savior forever. And I think about John 28. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. And I think about 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And he says, He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. And I think about Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that final chorus. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And I think about Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Finally, my brethren, one of the things I want to share with you is these wonderful truths from just when you think about victory in Jesus, you think about that song, you sing that song, think about the scriptural basis. for the, Those are more than simple words that 
E.M. Bartlett penned on a bed of affliction. They're wonderful truths. Wonderful truths that we need to share the gospel. People need to hear the story of the gospel. They need to hear your story. As you only you can tell it. Not your favorite preacher's story, but your story. Tell them your story. And remember that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that to have that forgiveness, we must repent, we must own our sin, we must turn to Him. Remember the power, the transforming power of the gospel, that God can change us, who we are, and then remember the hope of heaven when this life is over. Let's pray. Father, I thank You in Jesus' name. I thank You, Lord, for the wonderful truth of the gospel. Lord, I thank You for... E.M. Bartlett, who wrote that wonderful hymn many, many years ago, I thank you for the truth that it imparts. And I pray, God, that you will encourage each of us here today that we will follow you, that we will serve you in spirit and in truth, that we will keep our eyes focused on Jesus and Him alone. And Father, I thank you for this church, Attila Baptist Church, and I pray that you will bless them, pour out your Holy Spirit upon them in a great and a mighty way. Lord, that you would encourage each and every member of this church to take their place, to stand up and and fill a gap, Lord, in the coming months as they begin to search for a new pastor. Lord, that you would send the man that you would have to be here. And in that interim period, God, that you would let each person seek not man, but seek you. Because, Lord, we know only in you can we truly find our hope, Lord, and our peace and your grace. If there's one here that needs to make a decision for you, I pray that they would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to your heart, you want to come pray, you just obey the Holy Spirit as we stand.